You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Hey everybody, this is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. On with me today is a friend, Monica Lynn. Monica, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on this with you. Awesome. Uh, you know, it's funny. I know Monica and I were talking before I hit record. We, I almost went to college. So she was at Interlake. I was at Eastside Catholic. She went to Santa Clara, 88 to 92. I almost went there. And we had some mutual friends like Steve uh done and all that but we lived in the ridge for a long time together and always one of those gals that you'd bump into and super high energy i love just kind of seeing you around and you always had a smile on your face so i'm excited to have you on thank you so much dirk this is so fun I appreciate yeah okay so sex and relationship therapist i think that's a little more exciting than some of the mortgage podcasts i've done <laughs> tell me a little bit about what that means to do that job Okay. Um, so being a sex and relationship therapist, people often ask that, like, who do you see? And I always tell people like every single human on the planet is sexual. They have some sexuality reference. And so all people, I see all people, it's not necessarily like a really specific subset of people, but, um, my practice seems to be, I do about 60% couple work, couples work and about 40% individuals. A lot of the individuals, it tends to be people with sexual assault backgrounds. Um, sometimes it's people that are exploring uh, gender, uh, non-binary, sexual orientation, um, just past trauma in general. And then with most couples, it tends to be the variety of communication problems that people have that lead to disconnect, um, that usually leads to sexual disconnect. That leads to awkwardness that leads to how do we re-engage and get closer to each other because now it's been so long that it's super awkward and we don't really know how to do that and we need some help doing that um so that's kind of a short answer but it really is everyone anyone and everyone should go see a sex therapist because it helps you maximize your relationships yeah i mean it's heavy i mean it's um We'll get into this. Uh, I want to, before we get into kind of what you do and what that career is all about, I do also kind of want to get into kind of how you got here. Mm -hmm. um, I know you went to Santa Clara. Uh, you were a CPA or an accountant. I, I never got that. Okay. <laughs> so I, so I went to Santa Clara and I was an accounting major. Okay. And the reason I did that is because my dad is from, my dad was from India. He's passed now, but so most of my family that I'm close to is from India and um, immigrants. He came here when he was 28, like first pair of shoes when he was 18. He was definitely somebody who worked very hard at Boeing 30 plus years. And for my Indian family, um, being an engineer is number one or being in business. And so those were the two kind of tracks that I, I thought that I had to be on. I didn't really give myself permission to do anything different. And so my dad, although I did not want to be an engineer, sort of steered me towards business. And that's why I majored in accounting at Santa Clara. And about junior year, I knew that I didn't like it. I was like, I don't want to do this. And we had a teacher at Interlake High School named Oddly enough, Gordon Dickman, he was the sex ed teacher and he was fantastic. He was super progressive. He was always written up in the Seattle Times and I just loved him. And my dad would send me these articles 
from the stuff that Gordon Dickman was doing. And I went to Santa Clara, which is a Jesuit college. So most of the people had been at Catholic high schools. And so I was astounded how many of the people in the dorms had no idea when in your cycle you got pregnant. They didn't know about STDs. They didn't know really anything. And so I became sort of the resident sex educator. And so I worked as an accountant for about 13 months after I graduated from Santa Clara and I hated it. The last draw was that somebody on my last audit came in and said, could you maybe not laugh so loud? And I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> I'm being shushed for being happy. I think this is the wrong job for me. So I left and I went back to Central Washington University and I got my teaching degree. And that's when I decided to be a sex ed teacher. And I was at Newport High School in Bellevue for 10 years. And I taught with my mentor, Barb Velatagi, who's like the most phenomenal sex educator in Washington. And I did that for 10 years. At the same time, I was supporting my ex-husband through law school. So I also got certified by the American College of Sports Medicine to be a fitness instructor and then a nutritionist and then a wellness coach. So I kind of tag teamed both those jobs for a long time. And then eventually I decided to go back and get my master's in psychology from Bastyr. And I, I, at the time, my dad was dying from Alzheimer's. And so I thought I was going to do end of life work. But then I couldn't get an internship because mostly social workers get those internships. And so um, I met with a supervisor and she said, you've been a sex ed teacher for 10 years. And I said, yeah. And she said, seems kind of like a no brainer that you would be a sex therapist. And it was like one of those, oh, duh moments. And I thought, oh, yeah, I could totally do that. And so then I just kind of pivoted and started going towards my sex therapy um, specialization and I'm so glad I did because it really fits me well and I really love it. And I'm an ASEC certified sex therapist, which is kind of the ASEC stands for American um, Association of Sex Educators, Counselors and Therapists. And so that is um, the group of people that are sort of in this, you know, certified specialty. And that's where I am now. There's so much. Okay. So all these things are coming up and I'm trying to think, okay, where do we start? But I have to tell you a funny story. When I was in junior high, um, we had a teacher, Bob Likas, Lichen, and he was our sex teacher. And he would have us yell vagina and penis outside the door, down the hallway as loud as we could. And I, and, and the reason I bring this up is I remember like so many of the kids just couldn't do it. Uh. And it was kind of like, I'm, what I'm thinking about, and I guess it's a question is, just the way you grow up, your family, like the appropriate, like what you can talk about, what you can't mm -hmm. talk about. Mm -hmm. I would assume the topic of sex is, um, for some, it's just not a topic that just is, they feel safe getting into. Super insightful comment from you. Yeah, I would say that probably 95% of the clients that I see now when I do sort of an extensive sexual history intake um, on their second appointment, I almost all of them have had that kind of upbringing where it was either religious background and they weren't allowed to talk about it, it wasn't spoken of in the home, there was shame around masturbation, any of the different topics, and they just are really uncomfortable with it. And on a contrast, my parents raised me super, super open. So that's why I think when I got to Santa Clara, it was always so easy for me to talk about it. So I thought, well, this is a natural fit for me yeah. because I'm super comfortable and it does, it makes a huge difference. What your background is, what your family upbringing, cultural, societal, religious, yeah. religious messaging that you have had that determines whether you feel comfortable or not talking about the subject. So, you know, it's interesting. I always think about the skill sets that translate to someone who is good at what they do. Um, 
what would you say, like, is it like your ability to hold space and make people feel comfortable quickly? Like, I would think that would be really important. Like if they don't jive with you or they don't feel safe or, or you're making them, it's an awkward kind of first date. What is it about you that makes you so good at this? You think? Mm, um, a lot of therapists say that the therapeutic alliance or the relationship or rapport you have with a therapist is about 80% of how effective the therapy is. So I, I always encourage people to talk to multiple different therapists, do a free phone consult and see who clicks with you. Because that chemistry, it's kind of like having a good friend, a best friend, a partner, romantic, platonic. If you don't click with them, how are you going to share super intimate details about your life with the person? And so I think part of it is that, is that I do have a pretty approachable personality. And then I think the other part is just how easy it is for me to talk about sex. It doesn't phase me. It doesn't make me embarrassed. Um, when I taught high school, the kids, the first few days, oftentimes the guys <laughs> would try to say things and ask questions to get me to blush or, you know, to be embarrassed. And I would always answer them directly in kind of a bored manner and be like, this isn't embarrassing to me. So you can do this for days and days, or we can get started because I'm not going to be embarrassed. And then they would really get vulnerable mm -hmm. and kids would ask all these questions that they'd never had somebody to ask. And so I think that 10 years of fielding questions from 15, 16 year old teenage boys and girls also helped me get super, super comfortable. So yeah, I think it's really easy for me to show up in the space with people. Plus I have been married for 15 years, divorced, raised three kids with a different partner now. Like I've been through the gamut, blended families, all the things. So I think there's enough lived experience also that anybody who comes into my office, there's enough that I've lived that's parallel some most of the time. Um, not always, but most of the time that they feel like, okay, she kind of gets this. Yeah. I mean, just knowing you, I guess, what, 15 years, 12 years, just mm -hmm. in the ridge. And you're very, I mean, it's easy to talk to you, like no matter what, see on the golf course and the tournaments or whatever at a party, like you're very approachable and, um, not everybody's like that. I mean, I think that especially when you're talking about the content that you deal with, um, you have to have that. And so if you're listening and you're watching, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. it's not everybody could probably pull this off, right? You have to, it, it has to be like a natural thing, which I think it is for you. So one of my questions is you've always in your career, you've always, whether it's health or fitness or wellness or whatever, you've always been in a role to help people. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's, so, and then, so if somebody wants to kind of get into that type of career where they're giving back or they're in service, you know, I guess the question is, do you feel that's step one or step two to say, what is, what is interesting to me? What do I like? I like sex. Mm -hmm. And then, or do does sex come before being a therapist or does therapist come first? And then you match it with the topic that you align with, I guess, does that make sense? Yes, it does. And it's a great question. I don't know if this is the answer for everyone, but I guess in my experience, it would be the latter of what you said. Like I knew that I wanted to be a therapist since I was like 12 years old and I never did it because in my family of origin, that wasn't like a respected field. So like I said, my Indian family, it was like being an engineer, a doctor, a business person, and not a lot of Indian people go to therapists, or at least from my family at that range. Um, so I think it's more about knowing your skill set and 
this this message I think is really important for all people because I think sometimes depending on what family you get raised in that they have um, sort of a tunnel of what they believe is the definition of success. And if you don't fit in that tunnel, then you don't really know that you could pursue your dreams. So I think of being a 12-year-old and I was on the phone all the time with my friends and my dad, my Indian dad would stand at the doorway and just laugh. And he'd be like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? You know, And he never understood that. So he would never encourage me to go this route. But I think I knew then I was talking to friends at a very young age about their problems, processing it, trying to help them. And I loved it. And so being an accountant was not that. There was none of those skill sets that was being served. And so it made a lot of sense for me to go a different direction. Being really comfortable talking about sex was also something that I was passionate about. And so I never really wanted to be a teacher, but that ended up being something that drew me because of a role model in high school, Gordon Dickman, and then also my comfortability talking about sex. So then if you go forward to being a therapist, I think it was sort of fulfilling a childhood dream of saying I did some careers that I didn't like at first and now I get to pick me. And so the therapy part was definitely over the years talking to kids. I mean, I would finish school at 2.30 at Newport and sometimes I'd be there till seven o'clock because of the nature of what I talked about, eating disorders, drugs and alcohol, sex ed, mental health. There would be a line of kids wanting to talk after school. And so it was sort of informal therapy that I did those 10 years. And then being a personal trainer, it's kind of like being a hairdresser. You hear all of your clients' problems. That's 28 years of doing that. So yeah, I think it kind of was a natural fit to say, this feels like a good avenue to sit with people, hold space for them, process things, help them um, unpack what's hard and find their best quality of life. That was what first drew me. And then, well, what type of therapist? You could you could be a generalist. You could do all types. But for me, it was like, I want to have a niche. I want to do something that's more fitting of my personality. And so the sex part came second. Got it. How does it feel like you've been in different flavors of therapy in terms of helping others? And it's always probably felt good, right? Mm -hmm. And this must feel a little different. What's Is it different because this is just like, this is who you are? Like, this is your soul and this is this i mean do you ever like it's friday right now i don't know what time it is you're done with the week but is it do you just feel like you've arrived <laughs> that's a great question kind of yeah like there's a lot of i do both telehealth and in person i yeah. really like in person way more and the days that i have mostly in-person clients i don't feel like i'm at work i feel like a new set of people that i care deeply about are entering a room with me, sitting with me and sharing some of the most intimate things that they share with anyone on the planet. And I feel incredibly privileged and honored. And so listening and making, it's like a puzzle to me. So I, I listen to what one or both people are saying, and it's sort of like taking all the puzzle pieces and putting it on a table. And then as, as you ask more questions, you get more puzzle pieces. And then when you ask enough questions, you get most of the puzzle pieces. And then it's like, how can the three of us or the two of us put our brains together and figure out where they all go? What kind of picture are we trying to make? Where are the obstacles and speed bumps? And so for me, it just feels like a really kind of satisfying, gratifying mental challenge to put the pieces together. But the whole experience does not feel like work most of the time. Sometimes, like you said in the beginning, it can be heavy. A lot of times people think, oh, you're a sex therapist. That must be so light and funny, you know, and easy. But um, yeah, it's it can be really emotionally heavy. 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, not again, I, with HIPAA and compliance, I mean, I, I would never like ask for examples, but I would imagine if you're working with somebody that's had trauma around this subject, yeah. um, you hear some, a lot of vulnerability. Um, and I guess one, th- I guess the, the way to ask this is I remember in between technology and, and real estate lending, I went back to get my doctorate or in uh, a PsyD in psychology, oh. and it was a seven year program and I did it for two years and then I left. But the reason, and the reason I'm telling you a story is, and I had a 4.0 and I was never like the smartest guy in the, the classroom, but I was really into the psychology and the, and I wanted to work with young kids and we would do a lot of role playing and in scenarios where, okay, you're dealing with a kid who's being abused by his dad. And I realized like, I would, I would be the guy who go knock on the door and kick the dad's ass. And I, mm-hmm. I, I just remember like, I can't do this with my temperament. I like, mm-hmm. this is too heavy for me. Yeah. So my question to you is like, you might with the heavy stuff, how do you, how do you leave that behind and then go live your life with your three kids and your partner? And mm-hmm. I mean, it's gotta be, is that a skill set or is that just something that you're naturally good at? Uh, I think it's definitely learned. And um, I think I'm still definitely in the process of figuring that out. Like I have, I have one particular client that has such a horrendous sexual assault story that there's been times where I have walked out of a session with her and just bald, you know, it's like you, you, you can't hear sometimes those things and not have an emotional response yourself. Um, most of the time being able to, uh, either journal, sometimes I case consult. So therapists can case consult with other people where they're not sharing any PHI, PHI, personal history information, um, or health information. Um, so you can talk about the case without talking about the person. And that helps you sort of externalize it, get some ideas of how you might approach it, any blind spots you have. And so that helps a lot to be in case consult groups. Um, cause my partner's a therapist also, I can case consult with him, but I will say that myself as a therapist, and a lot of my friends that are therapists, I think I've lost more friends. I used to be somebody like all growing up. I had a million friends, million friends through junior high, high school, college, as an adult with my kids, everything. I have fewer friends right now than I've ever had in my life. Simply because once I get back in the car after hearing, you know, five or seven or eight different stories in a day that I drive home and I'm like, I can't, I don't have any bandwidth. I don't have the capacity to listen anymore or to process or to respond. So it becomes, you become a little more reclusive. Um, As a therapist, I think you just like run out of steam. Yeah. Yeah. It's a work. No, I, I, and I, and, and I think it's really, the reason I bring it up is if you're watching and you're listening to Monica or watching her and you think this is your, your jam or this is what you want to do. You, you have to be aware of the, um, the, um, uh, what's the word, um, the intent, yeah. the intent, the intensity of the discussion. Mm-hmm. This isn't just sex fun. Let's talk about that, you know, which right. could sound exciting and whatever it, totally. it can get really heavy. And so I think having the temperament and the, whatever you want to say, like, I guess the question is, what would you say to people that are interested in getting involved with something heavy, whether it's maybe it's human trafficking or trauma or whatever, um, what's your advice? I mean, other than being good listener and caring and being able to articulate, mm-hmm. um, would you say you have to have thick skin? 
great question. I don't know. I don't know if you have to have thick skin. I think that um, I have, yeah, I have thick skin in the way of like, it doesn't bother me if somebody gives me critical feedback. It doesn't rock my world if a client tells me that I said something that hurt them. I've had some therapists myself that have said and done things that would drop your jaw. And so I always lead with that. Like there may be something I say that offends you and lands wrong. And I welcome people like, tell me, please tell me in the session. If you don't tell me, if you don't feel comfortable telling me in the session, write me an email. Tell me that I was an asshole that day. Like whatever you need, ask for a phone call. Don't carry that. Don't sit with that for a week. Right. But um, so thick skin. Yeah, I guess in that your clients may get dysregulated and it may be at you. So most of the time, because I teach from a feminist lens or I do therapy from a feminist lens, I will often have couples where if it's a cishet couple, the male is sometimes feeling ganged up upon. I'm not trying to gang up upon them or cranking up on them, but sometimes there's a, a sense of male privilege that is present in the container or the room and it needs to be brought to attention and there needs to be some unpacking of that. And during that process, a male client may feel really different than say, if I were male, and sometimes I do that. I'm like, imagining me being male and then I'll change my voice and deliver the same message in a deeper voice. You'd be like, you would probably not be offended by that. But because I'm a female and I'm telling you this and you've heard your partner who's female also tell you this, sometimes people get really triggered. And so there's some thick skin to it, but I think it's also just a matter of um, having done enough of your own work to know how to regulate yourself. So there's like a saying in the therapy world of we can only bring our clients as far as we have come. So if I haven't done a lot of work on my own like childhood attachment or betrayal trauma or whatever's going on in my life, then if somebody walks into my office and they have infidelity in their background and I haven't done my work around what's happened to me in my past, I'm not going to be able to stay regulated. So it's a matter of doing your own therapy, your own work, reading books, listening to podcasts like this, like all these things that help you kind of move the stuff and externalize it that you then get to a place where you feel strong enough to say, whatever's happening in this room right now with these clients, it's not about me. I'm here to be a mirror, to reflect to be a messenger, but it's not actually about me. So you get better and better at compartmentalizing it. Okay. So it's not about you, but you're human yep. and you must get triggered because, mm -hmm. because shit in your background, your, your life comes up. Like mm -hmm. you might be working with a couple and the guy is a flavor of a guy you don't like, like that's not the, this, he's got a characteristic that really, so how do you, how do you remain neutral when you're triggered? <laughs> Um, there is a, one of my very favorite psychologists is a guy named, um, Yalom and he is a older, older Jewish man. And he has some great books out there, but, um, his, one of the things that he says is you have to fall in love with every one of your clients. And that sounds really weird, especially as a sex therapist, like you're really supposed to fall in love with them, but it's like the fall in love that you and I know Dirk with our kids, right? Your baby is born and you fall in love with your child. And um, so sometimes when I am looking across at a client that I'm struggling with, either they're, they're the wording of something that they've said, sometimes it sounds sexist or racist or something that really doesn't resonate with me well, I just remind myself of that. Like, what do you love about this person? 
What is it about them that you feel a tenderness for? What is it that you know about them when they've been vulnerable that makes you see them with compassion and through a different lens than what they're showing up with right in this moment? That's what I always do when I'm in that of just like, okay, just see this person for the things you love. Because at my, at my heart, at the root of it, I really want to help them be the best version of themselves. And sometimes when you're being raw and vulnerable in therapy and bearing your soul, that's not going to be the best version of yourself. So I have to remind myself they're showing up exactly as I'm asking them to, to make the most personal growth possible. And it might not be the prettiest while they're yeah. in front of me. Now, I don't know. I hope this lands well, because I am I was trying, when you were talking, I was thinking about, I, and I, if I say the name wrong, uh, Gabor Mate. I, I say it wrong too. I think it's Gabor Mate. I don't know. It probably it. is. I always butcher names. <laughs> so I really like him. And I also am a big Joe Dispenza guy. I do a lot of meditation. I've, I've met Joe. I've done his retreats. Um, and so I guess the question becomes, Let's call it Gabor. So we're talking, would you say Gabor? <laughs> Gabor, yeah. I think. Gabor, okay. Gabor we're, talk, I mean, he's, I really like him, but there's a part of his thing I'm not a fan of. Like he's big on the whole, I feel like it's a little bit of victim mentality where he, there's a lot of blaming. And yeah. then Joe is a lot about creating a new reality with new thoughts and behaviors hmm. versus dwelling on the, so I feel like there's like a middle ground there of when you're working with people, do you ever get caught in people that are like addicted to a belief or a mindset because it's safe? It's just who they are versus like trying to, I mean, because at the end of the day, I think people come see you to get to a better place. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, but I feel like this is an assumption and you can slap me and say I'm wrong, but people are so kind of fixated on, I don't know, um, a belief system that kind of keeps them in place and stuck. So, when you feel like you see the answer is your go-to to try to tell them, or are you always trying to get them to see it themselves? Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of throwing a bunch of things at you, but I guess uh, I, I did the victim and then not the victim, like creating your own world. And yeah. then I guess I threw another question, but I think you know where I'm going on that. Yeah. Yeah. No, all really good, great questions. Um, I think I definitely tend to be a therapist that has to struggle with not giving my opinion. So I have to remind myself not to. Sometimes I have clients, like yesterday I had a new client and they said, I want your opinion. I want to hear something different than my perspective. So you have to kind of play that game. It's probably most effective when you can, as a therapist, ask the questions of the client so that they arrive there rather than you telling them. Because we all tend to be less resistant when we get there versus being told where we are. So that's still a constant struggle for me. But yeah, I try, I aim to ask more questions than tell them how they feel. And then referring to what you were saying about Joe versus Gabor is that it's a tricky balance. I think when people have had traumatic pasts, like Gabor has, then there is a tendency to have that trauma play such a huge role that it weighs a lot. And to move past it, to go to the place of a shinier, brighter tomorrow, often feels like you're dismissing all that they've lived through. And so people need to be seen and heard. So like, this is one of my favorite tattoos. It says, seen, heard, got loved. Because when we feel seen and heard and somebody gets us, that's when we can truly feel loved. And so if somebody has not had that experience yet, they tend to hold on a little bit more to the victim stance 
and I'm not talking about Gabra wherever he's at, but people in general. And so if you're somebody who is sort of stuck in that space, oftentimes it's because you haven't really felt like anybody's seen and heard you enough. And so then I always tell clients like, what is the secondary gain to staying there? So if there's, if you're upset or hurt about something in your past and whether it's your ex-partner or your parents or whoever it was that wronged you, and they've never really healed you, they've never seen, heard, got you, then you're going to stay in a space where you're kind of upset, resentful, angry, hurt, betrayed, whatever it is. And so staying in that space, the secondary gain is that if I stay there, because everybody will say to you, well, why are you remaining the victim? That's only hurting you. Why are you angry? People say that to me all the time after my divorce. Why are you angry still? That's just hurting you. I'm like, oh, if I could get out of this, I would. But the reason was, is because I didn't feel seen and heard. So if I'm able to finally play the victim long enough to have somebody finally say, oh, that you must feel like this, 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 and this, that experience must feel like this, this, and this, then you're like, oh. Okay, now I feel got. Now I can let go of that and move more to what Joe's saying, which is how do you want to like forecast your future? How do you want to show up in the world in a way that makes you shine brighter? Yeah. So does that make sense a little bit about like there's a there's room and space and need for people to stay sort of in a victim mindset because there is a secondary gain. And once they start yeah. to feel seen and heard, which is what therapists do, then maybe you can take them to a space that is a little bit more bright. I love it. That's you. You answered that. And I know I butchered the question and chopped it up and then you assembled it really well in a nice response. Um, what would you say the hardest part um, of your job is like, or maybe what didn't you see coming? Like you're a smart woman, you knew you've had experience, a lot of life experience, and then you become this sex and relationship therapist and you think, you know what it's going to be like, what, is there anything that just like, oh my God, I didn't see that coming? Um, great question. Uh, a few answers. One is when I started working with clients around sexual assault, I did not realize how somebody else's rape, I guess they call it vicarious trauma, how it would affect me. So I'd hear a story, I'd hold space when I do that. And then I'd be somewhere three days later, like on the Ridge at a party. I remember being at a party a couple of years ago on the Ridge and all of a sudden somebody who's a kind person, a man said a comment to me. And all of a sudden, all I could see was the visual of this rape that this client had told me. And I couldn't take it. Like I couldn't take the comment, even though it was in jest and I had to get it from the table. I started crying. I kind of made an ass out of myself. I had to leave the party. People were looking at me. My partner like followed me out. Like, what is up? I'm like, I just, I just hit bandwidth. I couldn't do it. And so I think sometimes there's intrusive thoughts and vicarious trauma that happens from listening to other people's horrendous stories. So that's one thing I didn't, I didn't see coming. Another positive thing is that when you watch a lot of clients struggling that and your relationship is going well there's a huge amount of gratitude you walk out every day going wow i feel really thankful for the work i've done for the work my partner and i have done for the way we show up in relationship so there's some really cool things about the perspective you get yeah um, yeah those are the two that strike me the most so i would think so how do you okay so you have this interest you become this type of therapist, and then you go to work Monday morning. How do you go get your client? Like, how do you market yourself? 
Uh, well, I was really fortunate. I started um, working for a place called Pacific Northwest Sex Therapy Collective. It's on South Lake Union. Mia Fine and Sean Orpin run it, and they were they're like two of the top sex therapists in Seattle. I was super, super fortunate because I got to be, you know, supervised by them. I learned from them. Um, when you work for a group practice, any group practice, you tend to get clients funneled from whoever owns the practice and the intake coordinator. So that was a really great way to start. If I had just left and went from college or my master's right into private practice, it probably would have been a lot harder. Um, so then when I went into private practice, I could bring those clients with me. So that helped. And, and now I have a website. I probably get at least one inquiry per week. I have a wait list of about 16 people right now. So I feel guilty because I can't take everybody on, but, um, it's kind of through psychology today, through your own website. A lot of it's word of mouth. Yeah. I have clients where I'm seeing like three of their other couple friends because they've passed my name along. Um, I'm sure people younger than I do a great job of social media and Instagram, all those types of marketing. And I don't know how to do those things. So I don't. I like your site. I think it's cool. Are those, uh, the people, the photos on your site, are those stock photography or those clients or most of it's stock, no clients, most of it's stock photography or myself or people I know. Yeah. It looks, I really like your site. Um, so, okay. So you have this life of like, this is kind of what this podcast is about. It's like who you are when you were born into this world. Like who was Monica when she was five years old, seven, you know, 12 years old, talking, your dad's laughing. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's who you are, right? And then little by little, it's translated to kind of where you are today, right? You've used your skills, your interests, your passions, like your natural abilities of, but then there's the education part of it. So I guess the question is, I, I don't think just anybody could do what you do, but you also have to go get schooled in the curriculum. And like, I get, is that like a, is Bastier like a three year, five year? I mean, how many years of school does someone need to have to do what you're doing? Yeah. Great question. So you have to have an undergraduate degree. Um, and then you also, if your undergraduate degree was in something, you know, kind of irrelevant to psychology, you have to take a psychology class. So, um, like I had an accounting degree and then I had a teaching degree and health degree for my, when I went back to school, but I had never taken like a psychology class in college. So I had to go do like a psych 101 at Bellevue community college. And then after getting that, then I could apply for a place. I applied to Bastyr in Antioch. Most of like Bastyr is a two-year full-time master's program. There's other ones like Antioch where you can do it part-time and take longer if you're working full-time and going to school part-time. I was working part-time and went to school full-time. So the master's is, you know, anywhere from two to three to four years, depending on how quickly you move through them. Okay. Yeah. I think what I was trying to say is, okay, you need the, you need the credentials, right? Mm -hmm. But I think more importantly, just listening to you talk, you really need to have that life experience Mm -hmm. that I think is kind of makes you exceptional at what you do like if you don't have the life experience and you go get the credentials Mm -hmm. i i wonder how effective that maybe they would be a great therapist but i almost feel like again you got to look in the mirror and 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 take inventory of who you are yeah um by the way antioch is that the one on lake union no antioch is right near more close to um, pike place market okay yeah um so 
what about your lifestyle? Like, okay, so you're, you're running your own show, you're scheduling your own meetings. Like a therapist, is it typically a 90 minute, a 60 minute? Like how long do your meetings last? Uh, a lot of therapists do 50 minutes um, and then they have 10 minutes between sessions or they kind of have 10 minutes to wrap up. I am one of those people that I love going to therapy myself. I also love physical touch. So I love going to massages. And those are two things for me that they have to be a minimum. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I love it. I love, I feel like I'm having a hallucinogenic moment. I think I just saw balloons. Did I you see this. balloons? Yes. Or was, that, was that just me? But it's the 17.0 update. I love it so much. Um, uh, sorry. What was I saying before the balloons and the second? Oh, uh, we're talking about like, oh, massages. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I like those things to be 60 minutes. So I okay. always do 60 minute appointments and then I just give myself 15 between so that I can kind of decompress. Um, I also do longer sessions for people. So sometimes I'll do a 90 minute, sometimes a two hour technically called marathon therapy, but it's so effective. Like if I can get a couple in and set aside two, two and a half hours, you can make so much more headway and progress with that. So it sort of depends on what they want to do, their schedule, my schedule, finances, all that kind of stuff. But most of it standardly is an hour session. Okay. So is it Monday through Friday or do you work nights, weekends? You can do whatever you want. And that's a great thing about, you know, being in a field like this where you're making client appointments. So I, I still teach fitness classes in the morning at the gym that I've been at for 20 years, Mount Sai Sports and Fitness. So I teach there Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then I see clients Monday through Thursday most of the time. Um, I'm not a morning person. So I love being able to work more like 12 to 7 because some clients want to be able to see you after work hours. Um, some of my therapist friends work on weekends, not a ton of therapists work weekends, but it, there's a need for it for sure. Um, so yeah, you yeah. can kind of get, set your schedule to whatever works for you. So you have total control of your schedule, which is nice. I think that's worth, to me, that's worth a lot of money, just, a lot. uh, doing what you want. And then, you know, you have three daughters. Is that right? Three daughters? No, two sons and a daughter. Oh, I'm sorry. So, you know, your mom, which is a huge job. So. I think that if you're listening and watching, I mean, this is a cool part of your, your career is you have the ability to control your schedule and have a life, right? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of compensation, not, I'm not asking you, Monica, what you make, but like, do you, do you, is, is it just, Hey, I see you, you, you pay for this time or is there a recurring revenue? Like, is there any, or is it just, you know, 20 visits, 20 times you charge, how does mm -hmm. compensation work in, in your yeah. role? Yeah. I'll be really honest. Cause I'm kind of an open book. I don't, it doesn't bother me to be secretive about money. Um, therapy is really expensive and I, and I hate that it is. Um, but we do work really hard and, you know, pay 60,000 for our masters. And, um, it takes a big toll on, on a therapist emotionally. So, I mean, we do charge, you know, most therapists are anywhere between, I don't know, 125 and 350 an hour, you know? So like for me, an individual is 150 and a couple is 175. So with that, then I, I always take 40% of that and put it into a tax account because you're going to have to pay taxes on that. So that's one of the things to remember if you're somebody going into this field that you have to remember that not only are you being a therapist, but you're also having to manage your own business. So being, and that's where my accounting degree comes into play. So I always take 40% off so that I can pay my taxes at the end of the year and not owe anything. And then if there's any extra, I put it into a 401k because you do have to save for your own retirement too. So the things 
you get so much uh, flexibility in being your own boss, but you don't have a 401k, right? You don't have a matching 401k. You don't get benefits. You have to pay for all of that stuff on your own. So I would say that even though it sounds like a lot of money per hour, it doesn't net out to being something where I feel like I'm, you know, rolling in the dough by any chance. I'm still kind of living paycheck to paycheck, but comfortably now. Um, and um, yeah, just like you said, having the flexibility and being my own boss is worth a lot. It is. Is it always self-employed or can you be a W-2 employee and do what you do? Um, I was when I worked for PNW Sex Therapy Collective, I was a W-2 employee. Okay. So what's the kind of like for people that this is not something that I think I thought of when I was coming out of University of Washington, W-2, you work for a company, self-employed, you run your own show. Um, Would you ever go back W-2 or now that you've been self-employed, is that kind of the thing for you? I, yeah, I think it's the thing for me. I have. I, yeah, I've never been fantastic with having somebody that I have to work for. It stresses me out. I loved my bosses at PNW so incredibly much. I still do. But there's something about somebody that I have to report to that makes me feel stressed all the time because I'm sort of somebody who wants to give 110%. And when it's just me, then I know I can, you know, where I can wiggle and where that wiggle room is. And so I don't feel stressed all the time because I know exactly what I need to do and how I need to show up for my clients. But if I think somebody else might be let down, then I feel really, you know, stressed out. So that's why I like working for myself. No, I get it. Um, And by the way, if you got something you have to. I don't. That was an alarm. I'm senile now because I'm old. So I don't even know what that alarm was. It was probably telling me to take the garbage out or something. That's okay. Um, Oh, I did have. Okay. So one of my thoughts or questions is, and I don't, I know there's probably not a consistent answer to this, but like eventually you work with a couple and maybe, I mean, is there an average time frame that typically mm-hmm. a couple would stay with you like a year, two, six months, mm-hmm. um, and then they're no longer a client ever. Maybe they refer you, but like how sticky is this business in terms of like being able to keep clients for the long haul? Yeah. Great question. Um, I would say that a lot of people come into couples therapy only wanting to do it for a couple months. And then they realize that there's so much to unpack that they end up being there for at least six to eight months weekly before they feel a sense of like, okay, I always tell people that first month is really fun. It's like new relationship energy in an, in a, in a new relationship, right? It's fun. You're getting to know the therapist. They're getting to know you. You're getting to know each other as a three triad. It's fun. And then you start taking all those puzzle pieces out. And most of those puzzle pieces are things that the couple has shoved under the rug for long enough that they've been avoidant, that they've just kind of been roommates or they've been kind of getting by, but now you're bringing all the crap out onto the table. And so it usually gets worse before it gets better. And sometimes I have clients that will say at the two or three month mark, like Monica, we are getting along worse. Our marriage is worse than before we started with you, which is never fun to hear, but I'm like, I know I get it because you're actually facing the music now. Yeah. We have to figure this out. And so then around the six, seven, eight month mark, things start to start making sense. We're putting puzzle pieces together, figuring out patterns, understanding each other. And then somewhere between that, like six to 12 months, most of my clients will end up going bi-weekly and then um, sometimes monthly. Um, I tend to have a really long, um, what do you call that? Retention rate. So I have a lot of couples that are like, they'll leave for a little bit and then they'll come back and say, well, actually we were doing better when we were seeing you bi-weekly or monthly. Yeah. So it, again, that's a huge privilege. So it depends on the finances of people. 
one of the things like I really want to get paneled with Medicaid or something so that I can serve a population that really needs help. So Premier Blue Cross or something that a lot of Microsoft or Amazon people, I don't feel as called to, but people that are more on the lower end of insurance spectrum, I'd like to get paneled so I could see a certain amount of people that really need a therapist that's paneled. Yeah. A lot of insurance doesn't really cover sex therapy or couples therapy. So a lot of sex therapists don't take any insurance because most of the time the insurance company will just reject it, okay. but that's still on my radar to do. So you're saying most of it's out of pocket. Yeah. Okay. And you can do a super bill. Like I can create a super bill and then the client can take that to their insurance company and say, can you partially reimburse me? Just depends on the insurance company. Um. It's funny. I talk a lot about AI in my, some of my podcasts, and mm -hmm. I feel like this is one career that AI will never uh, be able to replace. Um, so I feel like you're safe. Well, pretty much. I have a funny story with that. I have a very meticulous client that once was asking me for all this research and background and data and everything to back up everything I was suggesting. And so I put it into chat GBT and it literally came out with exactly what I had said. So I screenshot it and sent it to her because I was there you go. <laughs> here's your here's your research. But yeah, it kind of doesn't have the personal element. <laughs> well, the art of the emotions, the the silence, right. the, I mean, you just can't replace that. Right. I've done a lot of therapy, just kind of having a tough data. And and uh and I remember it was really always hard for me to find someone that I could connect with. Mm -hmm. You know, I had the guys, it drove me crazy. Like when I would ask, I like to ask their opinion and why do you want to know what I think? You know, and, and like, I just friggin' want to know what you think. No. Come on. You know, that's just how I, but, uh, it's, it's hard to find. It's like dating. It's hard to find a good fit. And when yeah. you do, it's great. Um, what am I not asking? Like, I'm not a therapist. This is not my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what should the audience know about in terms of if they're, if they're interested in this kind of career, whether it's marriage counseling or, drug therapy or trauma therapy or sex therapy, whatever. What is it that this audience needs to know more about that I'm actually not asking? Um, well, I, on both sides of that, I think one thing I would say is back to what I was saying about when I was a kid, I knew that I liked doing this type of work, that I liked helping people, that I had a personality for it. Like I had all the characteristics for it and I didn't have a family that encouraged that. So I never looked at it like I never even considered being a teacher, a personal trainer, a therapist. I would have never have looked at that. And so one thing I would say for people that are listening to your podcast and they might be listening to such a gamut of topics that you have on here yeah. and figuring out like, well, which one's going to pay me the most or which one fits my lifestyle or which one fits this. I would say that something that's really important to remember or to look into is what what are my natural skills that this occupation would fit me like? a glove. Like that's more important to me is that you're not overlooking what your natural gifts are and that you find something that fits what you already excel at. It's like teaching to your strengths, right? Like why do we give the kids who don't do math well, math tutors and all this extra attention to do well in math when they're excellent, eloquent writers and readers? Like why don't we hone that skill instead? So if you know that you have skills that shine in one of these areas like that to me is something that people should be paying more attention to when they're selecting careers rather than the outcome of the lifestyle they want. Yeah. And then um 
I, I guess I'm not necessarily answering your question exactly, but on the other side of it, I think of like, I use as a personal trainer, I have uh, John Zanis used to work at Peak Sports and Spine out in the Valley, right? And he always told me we worked together a lot. And he would always say, when you have clients that sprain their ankle or get an injury, tell them to come in right away. Because what happens is somebody sprains their ankle or pulls a hamstring on a Thursday. And if they came in on Friday or Monday, you'd probably be able to do all the things that you need to, icing, stretching, massage, whatever, ultrasound, and heal by the end of that next week and be back at it. But what people do is they go, oh, well, maybe it's not going to be that bad of, a, bad of a strain or a sprain. And they wait a week or two weeks or three weeks yeah. or two months or three months. And then they go in and they've got this new default where their body is now injured and they have to do months of therapy, physical therapy to get out yeah. of it. So yeah. now you're at six months of being out of your physical game, right? And that ripples outwards towards your grumpiness, your mood, your endor lack of endorphin release, your relationships, your work. So I say the same thing about therapy. If you are somebody who is struggling, whether it is, like you said, with drugs, with alcohol, with trauma in the past, with family of origin stuff, like you're talking about with your dad, with sexual assault, with whatever, just a relationship where you're like, my partner and I don't have sex anymore. We're not very physical or intimate or kind to each other. Don't wait for months or years because at that point, there's so much more damage done that the reparative work between the couple is so labor intensive that sometimes it can be overwhelming and people will end up separating. So if you're in a space where you're not feeling like you're operating in your best, you know, realm, then go to a therapist sooner than later, because then you can work through it faster and be back in a space where the ripple out effect is positivity and joy and being of service to others and all those things. That's a, is that, I always mess up. Is that a metaphor or an analogy? Like the talking about the working out with John Zanis, because that's, <laughs> that is really, that really, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, cause like I even think in, in relationships, things fester and then someone gets bitter and then yeah. goes on a business trip and all of a sudden they cheat or yeah. they do something or they're looking for attention because uh, their husband doesn't give them the love language of words of affirmation and yeah. he does acts of service, but she wants to yeah. be told she looks beautiful and yeah. whatever, like it does fester. You're uh -huh. right. It's just like a, you roll your ankle, get in there and get it stretched. And yeah. I, I think that's a really great comparison. Um, I have one more in yeah. that, one that you might like. So if you're, if you're somebody who's really inflexible, which most people are right. And you're doing that sit and reach test. Like if you're sitting on the ground with your legs out in front of you and you're, you're reaching your fingers towards your toes yeah. and you're really tight. So your hamstrings and your low back are really tight. If you were to do some type of hamstring stretch for like one minute a day, every day, by the end of two weeks, you usually gain about an inch of flexibility. So if you did the sit and reach again, you could go an inch farther. Okay. And in that your lower back's going to feel better. Your hamstrings fell better. You're moving better. You're sleeping better. It's like rippling out to your life. So little things like that. I think of if you go to a therapist and they tell you like something I tell, I told a new client the other day was you are both saying you love each other. You're still attracted to each other, but you don't really talk. You don't touch when you pass each other in a room, you don't look at each other or touch each other and you want your marriage to be better Then stop and have like a hug every single day and not the hug. You know, like when you're, when you hug somebody, it's like a contracting motion. But if you do a hug and you wait until somebody's body kind of goes and relaxes, takes maybe 10, 15 seconds. Right. But if you did that every day, just like the one minute of stretching every day, by the end of two weeks, you likely would feel close, more closely connected to your partner 
in a physical affection, emotional, vulnerable, connected way that could do so much good for your relationship. So it's those like, that's again, I don't know, is it a metaphor or an analogy? Whatever it is, it's like, we take care of our bodies. We take care of our minds. We take care of our hearts and our souls. Like if you can do something to improve that connection, you're probably going to improve your quality of life for you, your partner, your family, your work, coworkers, all of that. I love it. There's, I was just thinking about your history and food, working out, psychologicals, you know, just say, is there an area of your life that you don't take care of? You seem to like take care of every, like your career has been every flavor of like, you know, the pot piece of the pie. Is there like, what, what would, is there anything that you, you need help working on or do you feel like you're pretty evolved? I mean, I'm definitely a walk my talk kind of person. And I always have been. So I do, I exercise seven days a week. I eat really healthy. I work on relationship and communication. I mean, I guess right now it would be um, my social life. I don't think I have as much of a social life as I probably would benefit from. And um, over-investing in my kids sometimes. I have a big mama bear heart. And so sometimes I can forget that I actually can just invest in myself and things like this. Like this is a creative outlet. I love doing podcasts. I love talking to people and doing these like more group therapy or things like that. There's lots of things that I would like to do more of. And I think I get really attuned to how do I be of service to those, my little small pot of people. So um, yeah, I think it's probably expanding and being able to say you, Monica, deserve to be able to spend more time on you and your interests rather than always attending to other people. Yeah, I love it. I think we all have stuff. Um, I know I have plenty of stuff I've been trying to work on over the years. Um, is, is, do you feel complete or is there anything else you want to talk about or say? Um, I feel pretty complete. It's just really nice to have space to do this. I really appreciate it. And I love that you're helping young people figure out. I think what we were saying before, we you hit record was like when I was thinking I wanted to be an accountant, if I had shadowed an auditor one day, I would have known I don't want to do that. Right. So this podcast, what I love about what you're doing is you're kind of giving people this insight into not quite shadowing. They're not physically there watching what an entire day looks like, but you're giving a lot of people a lot of angles and perspectives of what these various jobs entail and what a benefit for people to skip over the things that they're like, oh, that does not sound like what I thought being a mortgage broker was or being a sex therapist or whatever. So right. I just really, I appreciate and love that you're doing this. It feels very giving and generous of you to be giving to the rest of the world. I appreciate it. I um, I think it's interesting you see, and, and you're right, but the, the, the other side of that is what I really am trying to do is like, if this is a virtual shadowing, what I really want to do is shadow you when you go home from work. Mm. Like I think the job description, people can get like get it. My dad was a pilot um, oh, wow. for Northwest Airlines, and you probably understand what it's like to be a pilot, but you don't understand what it's like when he's not being a pilot. And, yeah. Or uh, um, and so that's kind of the other part of my podcast is I'm really trying to get into the weeds on you know like let's say you're not a vaccination guy, which yeah. I'm not. And I work for a big company, you know, that is forcing their employees to get the shot. You know, those are things you need to think about, like your freedom or even in sales, like 
there's 20 different ways to be compensated in sales. You can sell to strangers, you can mm -hmm. sell to friends, you can have big commissions, little commissions, you can have a book of business that's like a financial advisor. So I think those are the things that I'm trying to help people understand. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you kind of know what a doctor does or a pilot or a, a football coach or whatever, but you don't really know, you know, when the workday is over, what, what that lifestyle's like. So that's a great point. Well, I'll tell, I, I think I've already alluded to it, but I'll tell you, mine is a lot of getting home, getting my pajamas on, getting on the couch with my dog next to me and watching Netflix. <laughs> I want to like opt out of all reality and just do something that takes my brain a different direction. So if that doesn't sound appealing to you, then maybe being a sex therapist is not your calling. <laughs> well, that's the thing about my wife and I is like, not to get deep on us, but like, we've been together since 1994 yeah. um, and been married since 2000. And we had a lot of the same values, like um, foundational children and just were similar in a lot of core things. Um, but I think too, when people are married, a lot of times people start off that way. And then, you know, maybe they don't communicate or they just change. And, and I don't, I'm not saying a good marriage is luck because I think mm -hmm. it requires a lot of hard work. But yeah. sometimes like it's like the same thing with a career is if you give it a little thought about does this career align with kind of who I am at the core, I think it's kind of like marriage or a relationship where you have to do a little thinking up front instead of winging it. And yeah. when you're talking about Netflix, sitting on the couch, like I'm very social, I can hang with anybody, but I'm an introvert. I, I get charged up on my farm or, you know, out with my animals um, or whatever but i love like you i love my wife and i uh love watching shows at night and just kind of tuning out and by the way do you have a good netflix uh series you recommend way too many like G give me one or two um well i loved sex education that was definitely right up my alley That's i haven't it. seen that it's so good it's, it's got so much diversity and especially the last season it was great um oh Wait, is God. that the is hispanic is that the hispanic wife no that no that's the one with um What's her name? The, the, uh, I can't think of who it is. Her name's Jean. She's a sex therapist. Okay. But I can't remember the show she used to be on back in the day when we were in the eighties. Um, I'm addicted to the good wife right now. Super old, like from 2007. Like, yeah. um, I'm trying to think of the other ones that we've been watching. I can't even, I'm blanking anything, anything that's got emotion for me. I tend to watch things that have emotion also. And yeah. I like to, oh, there's also couples therapy on, I don't know if it's on Apple or Netflix or okay. now she's amazing. So that's like a, that's a great thing to have people who think they want to be a therapist, watch couples therapy, because that gives you a real insight into a bunch of different couples. And yeah, that's a great show. Don't you ever want to just go 180 though, and get the hell out of therapy and, and like, go do something, to watch something totally different. Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess I don't like scary things. No, I'm kind of, I think I'm kind of hooked on emotional stuff. That's all right. Here's one I just watched called the bear. Oh yeah. I've heard that's great. We watched really, the first one. It's intense, but it's really good. I just also watched Fada. It's about what's going on right now in Israel and in wow. Palestine and the West bank. And it's, it's a few years old, but it's really spot on. And so yeah. I'm, I'm trying, I'm very thirsty for knowledge, not to get political, but I'm trying to learn more about what's really going on and right. the history. And uh, anyway, I love Netflix too, I guess was my point. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll let you go. You've been awesome. Um, I Thanks. appreciate your time. I hope that I think, you know, uh, if people are interested in, in this, are, 
are interested in you as a therapist, what would be the best way for them to reach you? Oh, um, my, uh, my business is called balancing life. So you can find me on, um, Instagram or my website's balancing life online at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, I absolutely happy to answer questions for anybody. I love, I love being of service to people in the community too. So if anybody had any questions that they wanted to ask, um, outside of therapy or just about therapy, I'm super happy to meet with somebody, have coffee, have a conversation, do a zoom, whatever. Balancinglife.com. Balancinglifeonline.com. Cause I started the company in 2000 when yep. everything was like online. So I thought yeah. that was catchy. Now I, like I, it. I have to have that, but yeah. No, it's okay. And by the way, were you a natural helper at Interlake? I was a natural helper. See, that's where I knew I should have been a therapist. You were too. Me too. <laughs> I always pull that out. Like when people are fighting, I remind them I was a natural helper totally. in high school so I can help out. But uh, thanks, Monica. You were awesome. Thank you, Dirk. Have a fabulous weekend. You too. Thank you.